This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Cecilia O'Hearn, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Now, Cecilia's in Dublin, and you can probably hear that by her accent. She's the best-selling Irish author who has sold over 25 million copies of her books. She wrote her debut novel, P.S. I Love You, at age 21. Wow. Which was adapted into a film, which I adored. She has written an average of one book each year, as well as worked in TV and film production. Her latest novel, Freckles, is about one unusual young woman and her search for happiness. I just want to talk about, Cecilia, how you came to writing. Was it when you were young, was it this was what you'd always wanted to do, was to write a book? I... I never knew that I wanted to be a writer. I mean, it was something that I did for myself quietly as a hobby all the time, every day. I would write a a diary um, or songs or poetry, but I never considered being a writer. I I never, I read all the time, but I never even thought about it as a job. You know, we, I never met a writer. (laughs) I didn't know about what you'd even do. Um, But it was only when I, I studied journalism and media communications in college. So I knew that I liked creative writing um you know writing for radio broadcasting tv and film production film studies but I still didn't consider writing a novel only it was only when I came up with the idea for P.S. I Love You that I put pen to paper and it became a novel. So when you sat down to write a novel I mean there is a craft to writing a novel there's the writing and there's the idea and you say you had the idea first so you sat down at your desk one day and decided, oh, well, I can type up, you know, 60,000 words, 70,000 words, or did you approach it bit by bit? Talk, talk to me about that because it's very overwhelming. If I thought about it in the way that you're <laughs> saying, I probably would never have written it, you know, but it was just, for me, it's always just the story. And I know from doing events with, when I'm doing events and there are people in the audience that want to write, they think of all these things. Don't think of these things. It's just tell a story, you know, and, and, so that's what I did. I sat down with a pen and paper because I write longhand and I just, I, I put the date, I put the time. I obviously felt something momentous was happening in my life and I just started writing. There was no massive outline beforehand or anything like that, but what was, I'll tell you some funny stories. When I got my book deal quite early before the book was even finished in the contract, it said, I think a hundred thousand words for the book. I didn't even know what that was like I had no concept of what 100,000 book was but of course being so young I didn't want anyone to know that I didn't know what I was doing so I never asked any questions which I should have but I went out and I bought books and I this is ridiculous counted the amount of words on the first page multiplied it by the number of and then I that's how I understood how what kind of a length they were talking about 
And then I didn't even know about word count on my computer. So I counted. <laughs> so I, I, I kept it all. I have the manuscript from PSLW still, a handwritten manuscript. And at the back, I have all this like calculations of how many uh, words I have per chapter and adding it all up to see if I have the right amount. I mean, it's so ridiculous when you think about it. I, I It shows how little knowledge I had about that whole side of it, but um, also shows how much it doesn't matter. Yes. It really doesn't matter. I mean, the length of a book should be whatever the length of the story is, you know, and, and any publisher would agree with that. And that's just in, you know, 100,000 words is just in the contract for whatever reason. So, um, yeah, I hope that answers your question. I really knew very little about the practical, theoretical yeah. side of writing yeah. a novel. It, it, it didn't matter. Like many authors are, are on a one book a year kind of deal. And you just break it down into a very disciplined you know, routine and schedule. So usually, you know, pandemic aside, because that's kind of thrown everything all over the place, I would begin a novel in January, which is due in May. And then I edit for the summer and then it's published in the autumn. So that's the rhythm that I have. And I I, I think quickly, I write quickly and it actually suits me. So, you know, some years I've like, I've been on maternity leave, so I've taken a year off. But in the early years, I know that I published two books in one year, yeah, and I think some years I'm I'm go, go, go. And other years I know to to slow down a little bit, depending on what's going on in my life. But otherwise, it's it's a it's a schedule that really suits me. And I'm like so many ideas in my head that they're like popping out, <laughs> they're popping around, jumping around and um wants to be written. So it's just a matter of trying to kind of find the one that I want to spend the year working on. Um so thankfully that's that's the struggle, is to try and Choose one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the one that you're mostly in love with, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's there's usually two ideas um, in my head and um, it's, it's whichever one starts to grow the most, you know, and um, grows legs. And, and sometimes it's not the favourite one. You know, sometimes there's one that I think, oh, I really want to write that one, but it's the other one that's developing more and uh, where the character's voice is, is clearer and stronger and louder and uh, that's growing. And that's, I always think the books are having a little battle between themselves and <laughs> and one will always win. Yes, and, and the fittest person survives, the fittest yeah. one of the two. So you get this book published and you've got a publishing contract. Do you start calling yourself an author? At the yeah. Age of 21 <laughs> or 22? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I how to... old was everybody around you? A lot older, I'd imagine, who was writing. Everyone was much older. And I remember going to, um, actually, I remember going to Melbourne, um, the Como Festival. Oh, was, yeah, wow. So, and Frank McCourt, I was doing an event with Frank McCourt, who was just the most fantastic storyteller. Yeah. And I think I'd only published two books. And he was just telling these incredible stories. And, and I felt I didn't have, I didn't have anything to talk about. I, you know, just the experience of writing two novels. Uh, and I felt that was the situation I was in. I was going around and being surrounded by these kind of seasoned authors who, but funnily enough, many who would talk about the the horror of writing the book, you know, and the yeah. terrible time they would have. And they would go into this great detail about how complicated and tortured they were. And, and I and I didn't, I just looked at it. I'm like, yeah, wrote it, uh, loved it, an amazing <laughs> process, very kind of... Sold you know, it, it's going to be film, I'm okay. Uh, <laughs> And it just taught me a lot that it doesn't matter how many books they've written. Writing one is the same as writing 20, you know, yeah. it's talking about your process and what you love about it and how it excites you. And that's what people want to hear. But yeah, for, for a very long time, I'm, I was the new girl, very young. And I suppose 
people saw me that way and perhaps thought, you know, that I, I may not be an exceptional writer because of my age. So I had a lot, I kind of had a bit to contend with, maybe not in reality, but in my head I did. Yeah, they thought, might have thought you're a one book wonder or something. Now that would have been, I'm just thinking that would, and I haven't looked this up, but that would have been the Melbourne Writers Festival and his book was Angela's Ashes. And I, I think I might have even been there at the time. I was I was the small blonde on the stage. You kept yeah. forgetting what I was trying to say. I remember I was just so overwhelmed by because almost a thousand people in the in the marquee. I remember and I, and for I just was like, what am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> they don't want to hear me. They want to hear him. But no, and, everyone. And Australians are great with um, writers festivals. They love them. They love meeting an author. They yeah, really do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you know I've spoken to so many authors over the years, and no one has ever mentioned maternity leave. Do you give oh, yourself a year off? Well, I did for my first baby. I took a year off. For the second, there wasn't, you know, there was probably six months. And and my third baby, I had six months. And I do, I mean, it's it's a job writing out a full-time career. So, um, and I work pretty much every day at it. And when I have, it, it's impossible. I don't know how other authors write, but I can't sit in a kitchen with three children crawling around me. I mean, it's it's like anybody who needs to go to work. So, um. And if I don't work, I don't get paid. So, of course, yeah, I'm going to take maternity leave. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you write, do you go to a, well, let's say COVID aside, did you go to another premise? Do you have somewhere where you go and write? Um, I did for a few years, but I did for, for many years. And uh, before COVID, I started working from home again. And that's really because my kids were older and they were out of school. So the house was quieter and there was no need to go out and find a, a quieter place. And I really, and I, I really enjoyed that because it was the separation of, of work and life. And even though writing is a real passion, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not like an office. Well, it is an office job because I'm in an office, but it is a passion. But it also is a job. So, um, and I need to separate it from from my life. So I liked being able to go out to an office. It was in my local village, not far, a ten minute walk. But just having this different space where I could walk in and I just would say hello, room. <laughs> <laughs> and it was my lovely creative space to just let my mind disappear or explore. But I have that now in the house. So I do. I walk in and I say, hello, room. <laughs> and uh, that's important for me to have that separation. Understandably. Now, I want to go back to uh, your debut novel, 21 Years of Age. Go back even further. So growing up, did you think or know you were going to be a writer? No, I've never even considered it because I had never, I read books, but I'd never met an author. I never, I never thought about people who wrote books. You know, it wasn't something that was in my mind. I know now kids, the amount of schools that I've gone to to talk to students about writing, it's like an everyday thing they have. It, it just wasn't a familiar thing to me. Um, but I always wrote, I wrote diaries every day. I wrote songs and poems and uh, short stories. And I kept that up, you know, all through my, my teenage years. So I studied journalism and media communications in college, wanted to do, um, I got my degree, I wanted to do a master's in film production. So I was into storytelling, you know, in various different forms, but just didn't, never considered writing a novel until I wrote a novel. (laughs) And what made you write a novel? I think the idea made me write a novel. So as I said, I had always been writing. It was very like familiar thing to me. It was very uh, comforting thing for me to do to write about how I was feeling and um, and that kind of thing. But it was when I was 21, I just finished college and I got this idea for PS I Love You and sat down to write it at night. It was like 10 o'clock. No, I think it was two, two in the morning. 
and it just took over my mind. I couldn't do anything else other than write this book. So I knew that there was something special. I would write from 10 at night till six in the morning. I would sleep half the day, get up again, type up what I had handwritten the night before. And I did this for three months. I barely left the house and my mom could see how much I was really investing in it, throwing myself into it. And she suggested I share it with somebody in publishing to see if it could go anywhere. And, and even when I was writing for myself, I still didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that I had to get the story out. So the story about is about a couple remind me in a relationship and he dies. Yeah, so they're married and um, he passes away um, yeah. of cancer and he leaves her a letter, a list of letters, one to be opened every month um, after his death. And it's called P.S. I Love You. And at the end of each letter, he had P.S. I Love You. Yeah. So it was really him guiding her for the next year after his death. And I suppose, I mean, it's very difficult to say why did a 21-year-old come up with that idea? It certainly wasn't from experience. <laughs> I was, that was going to be my next question. What kind of experience had you had for that? But I was going through a similar time to the character, which was that I was kind of having this, thing. I joke when I say quarter-life crisis, but I do think it is a thing at that age. And I was very uncertain um, and very unsure about things, about myself and about the world and about life and very, feeling very fearful and worried. And I think I just put all of that into the story, you know, and as, as she was receiving the letters, they were helping her and the writing was helping me. And by the end of it, she found hope in this place in the world. And by the end of it, I had this new career. <laughs> I mean, it was really quite remarkable how it mirrored um, my journey, even though she wasn't me and wasn't my character, but I did, you know, I did feel lost with her and kind of found my way with her. Mm. Did you cry while you were writing some of those letters? All, all the time. All the time. I always cry when I write. I oh, I quite like egotistically filmed myself fil- finishing my last novel a couple of months ago because I don't think anyone could actually understand what I mean. I don't just go wipe away a few tears. I literally, I'm like trembling and ugly crying throughout the entire process because um first of all like when you're ending a book it's very emotional anyway but because you're saying goodbye to the character and you're bringing them to the the end of their journey and it's very emotional but particularly with P.S. I Love You putting so much of my my own personal emotions into it I cried the whole way through sniffles the whole way through yeah wow (laughs) planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So 
So um, after my mom suggested I send it to someone in the publishing industry, I she had a friend she had once played golf or she played golf with who she knew was in publishing and she she asked her to suggest an agent. And I was given the name of this agent, Marianne Gunn O'Connor, who's an Irish literary agent. And I sent it to her. I, I She asked me to send three chapters and a synopsis. I didn't even have a synopsis, so I just had to kind of scramble and work on that. Um, so I sent her the three chapters. And after about two weeks of hearing nothing, she asked to see more. So we were back and forth, back and forth for a couple of weeks. And when we got to 10 chapters, she arranged to meet with me that she wanted to represent me and that she wanted to send the book out to publishers. So I think on the 10 chapters, I got my first publishing deal with HarperCollins, which was pretty incredible, um, a two book deal. And then very quickly after that, well, I finished the book and then we got, you know, I got the American deal and then it was pretty much every day felt like I was getting a new deal somewhere else. It was a really phenomenal time. So um, I know it is not the normal story, um, I wasn't, you know, slaving away for years and years and years, getting rejections, but um, it was quite miraculous, really, how it happened. Yeah. And, right and do, do you think that was a defining moment for you? You know how you said you were feeling that you're having a crisis at that time. Tell, yeah. Talk to me about that. Well, I think it, it saved me in so many ways. I don't mean saved me, like I wasn't going down, 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 but it, it kind of gave me this direction that I didn't have. I didn't know. It was incredible. I had this instant career it wasn't just a job it was you know I had this deal I had to deliver on another novel um I was traveling the world you know meeting with publishers doing interviews doing events instantly so I think I wrote it in December 2002 and it was published in January 2004 um and by that time I already had the second novel finished so I was just you know we we published PS in January I published the second novel in October and it was just like from then on just nothing stopped you know I had a book the next year a book the next year as you you know as you explained in the intro it was just um constant and it was really fast and busy and um and then just you were very young to be 21 and to have launched into a writing career like that I mean that's rare I mean it's rare first for a debut fiction to be so successful we know that but it's also rare for a 21 year old to be so successful in writing who was around you that you were working with you know we talked about you know it being an isolated kind of career I guess at 21 we were all in offices meeting people going out for work after drinks all that kind of thing did that suit you that kind of occupation or did you feel a sense of loneliness in that because there a lot of people around you would have been, well, like Sheila or, you know, people would have been a lot older than you. Yeah. Um, every, yeah. Everyone was older than me. And yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I loved working on my own. I mean, that was what, what drew me to writing. And I adore that. I would be kind of introverted like that where, you know, I love being on my own and I have no problem with my own company. And, you know, pe- sometimes other people are a little bit hard work for me. <laughs> um. So what I what I found more difficult was the was the other side of that was the traveling was the events television Mm, stage audience that that to me was completely unnatural because um, you spend your time on your own creating this book for yourself telling a story and all of a sudden you have to answer questions about it that you wouldn't even consider yourself you know to analyze it in a way where you wouldn't analyze it yourself and then you also have to perform and then you're doing magazines and they're asking you to wear these dresses and it's like suddenly. there's like it's kind of this um Jekyll and Hyde you know has to be two completely different sides of you 
And, and that was, yeah. So that bit exhausted me way more. I think what saved me um, and what really helped me was to be continuing to go back to writing, delivering a new novel. Do you know, that novel. reminds me of the Olympics this year. Did you follow any of that? And the tennis player too, like those poor young people, athletes that are suffering anxiety, not necessarily about the sport itself. Yeah, I, I really do think about that a lot. All the things that I did that I, that terrified me, that you didn't have a choice whether to do or not because, yeah. you know, you signed a contract. And, you know, of course I was surrounded by people who were very understanding and sometimes it could move things around to, to help me or suit me. But most of the time you were, it's a whole environment that you just didn't want to be in. But that was necessary for the job because, you know, the book isn't going to sell itself. <laughs> it's not going to talk about itself. So, yeah, I did think that about that a lot. And it's nice that things have changed. And I think people are able to to speak up and say, I'm not comfortable with this. And, and I think as years went by, I was also able to say, look, I'm not comfortable with doing that. It's just ruining the four months lead up to it you know if it was some show that I was particularly worried about you know you know I I would say like I'd rather just get the work done than um than do that stuff so yeah but I mean that's what 20s are for isn't it 20s and I'm about to leave my 30s so it's just figuring all that stuff out and figuring out what 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 you can live with what suits you what makes you happy what you actually have to push yourself to do what's necessary what's duty what's responsibility and what's not so you've got the success in this book, you're writing another one. And how did the movie come about? I mean, you know, was that like a dream come true? It was, like it wasn't even a dream come true because who would even imagine that? <laughs> yes, I mean, it, was, it, was it was beyond. It was beyond. Um, and that's thanks to my agent at the time. I don't work with her anymore, but she's, you know, so um, important to everything that happened to me. Way at the beginning, before the book was even published, uh, we got the American deal, American book deal with Hyperion, and then this film deal with Warner Brothers and uh, that was huge just absolutely massive and it, it's just part of what she she does you know that the film rights and the lit and the book rights also the film rights and the big book rights that happens but it's not usually a film like this it's not always <laughs> as successful as I mean people I are still watching it everything was huge I think everything that happened was just like multiplied by a million yeah. <laughs> Um, and I was aware of that, you know, everyone kept telling me, particularly in Ireland, you know, and I know the Australians are quite, are very grounded as well, but like, this never happens, you know, appreciate yeah. every moment. This is phenomenal. This is not normal. This is not, you know, so I knew it wasn't like building up to a point where, oh, this is going to happen every book. Like every moment I realized this is rare. This is very special. You know, it's not going to happen every single time. It was, and especially as I had said to you, I was going to study film um, film production. So I left that course to write the novel and then all of a sudden this film was happening. So life is funny. Things yeah. have a funny way of finding their way out in the world. And, and it's just a world that I love to be a part of. I love being on sets and watching film and TV being made. It's so magical to me. Yeah. So uh, I just love that side of it too. So I want to talk about your new book, Freckles, because even though the character I think is younger than I am, it really resonated in terms of friendship. Talk to me about that and where the idea came from. Yeah, so Freckles is about a character whose nickname is Freckles. Yes. And she's a parking warden. She's in her early 20s. And she hears this expression, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Choose wisely. And so she immediately starts examining the five people in her life and what their characters say about who she is. But not completely satisfied with what she discovers, um, she realises that if she chooses a very specific set of five people, 
that she has the ability to shape herself, shape who she is. So she kind of reaches out to five different people in five different areas, you know, someone in sport, someone in business, someone in politics. To balance herself out. Yeah, she wants to be a well-rounded person. (laughs) And and she's kind of setting the reset button and becoming another version of herself. But she's a very she's a very peculiar character, though. So because I, I set her as a trap, a parking warden, I set her up as that because I wanted her to live this very rigid rule following life. Now, she does in her work, not necessarily in her whole life. <laughs> um, so when she hears this expression, she takes it like it's a rule. It's a, it's a guideline to be followed. And um, it's, it's really it's, it's a lot about her identity, you know, and she's kind of a very imperfect soul who's searching for belonging you know it's not necessarily that she wants to change who she is but she wants to find somewhere where she fits and she and, and she wants to connect with all these other people you know I liked her a lot because I thought about myself at that age you know you think about yourself and, and you're a lot closer to that age than I am but I always thought that when you got older, when you got to my age, for example, that everything would be easy, that everything would have fallen into place. And it's not like that, you know. The complexities of a 21-year-old are the same complexities as, you know, a 50-year-old. And that was, to me, I don't know, it kind of was refreshing in a way, her, let's say, her innocence. Yeah, and, you know, I think it's a question that you can ask at different phases of your life as well. It's not the five people who shape your entire life. That's a different book. That's a different question. This yeah. is who you spend the most time with. And I think, you know, if you change job or move house or suddenly change your daily routine in any way, you're you're surrounded by a different set of people. So, you know, maybe it's the person that you, you know, meet at the bus stop every morning and have a little chat to. They might shape how you view things or you might learn something new from them. Maybe it's someone who does your nails, you have a lovely chat to, or someone who gives you, you know, that you get coffee from in the morning. I What I wanted to do in this book is, it's not necessarily the five big, huge people who've changed your life. It's who has an input into your everyday? Who are those voices that you hear or those faces that you're eager to see that actually outside of family and friends are informing the decisions that you make and the thoughts that you have? And I just, yeah, so I, I really, really enjoyed. I think it's one of those phrases that makes you question it yourself. You know, it's interesting. It makes you go, who are my five people? And and are they responsible for the decisions I made during that period of my time, of my life or It's definitely got me thinking, definitely got me thinking, yeah. And also too, and she doesn't know this, Freckles doesn't know this yet, she'll know it as she gets older, but those five people change as you get older at different phases in your life, you know, when your girlfriends have children or when they get married or things happen, people come in and out of your life at certain stages for reasons as well. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll always have the, the precious few who are there. Um, yes. But you might not even, they're not necessarily the people you spend the most time with. They're just always there. Uh, but another thing is, I suppose, if you look at your five and if there's anyone in there that doesn't make you feel good, you know, if they have a ne- negative impact on who you are, if they're draining or if they're, you know, negative Nellies, <laughs> if there's someone that you're avoiding or someone's call that you're screening or you know, do they need to be one of your five? And I think it's a lot about uh, protecting yourself as well. And, you know, it's up to you who you let in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like you don't let anyone into your house. You know, you have a front door there for a reason. So you have to to guard and, and um, protect yourself. So I suppose I don't really want people to read this and start culling friends. <laughs> it is. There's a lot about, you know, toxic relationships. And, and is that the best person 
who should be in your life, you know, um, we don't necessarily need five yes people. You need someone to feel, you know, to inspire you, someone to ground you, someone to, you know, someone, someone who lives. In, in my 30s, I did a little bit of culling. I mean, it was awful, but I just decided, I woke up one morning and I was meeting a girlfriend for a drink and I decided that every time I met with her, she made me feel terrible about myself. I thought, yeah. why am I even going? What am I doing? And I think that comes with age a little bit, you know, different stages of your life again. It, it wasn't much, so much a matter of culling, but I decided I wanted to spend less time there because yeah, I'd always go back home and I'd feel terrible about myself. I and that's and that's really a lot of what the story is about. And I was saying exactly. to you, I just think we don't have a huge amount of time. Life is incredibly short. Why should we? give someone else our time to make us feel worse. So, um, yeah, and, and you have to be prepared for those people. So uh, to- totally agree with what you've said. Yeah, you really need to protect It's yourself. a really, really beautiful idea. How did this one come to you? Was it an experience you were having? No, this came from me. My, my brother-in-law said the phrase to me because he, we were away and um, I was with my mom who he said I'm morphing into so one of us said something and he said was that you or your mother because you know you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with and he was basically just saying that I was becoming her and she was becoming me but it was the phrase that just you know sometimes you hear something and never heard it before and it just made me start thinking always in my opinion um, about fiction I was like oh I could, I could do so much with that with a character. So it was like ping, 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 ping in my head. Obviously made me, uh, you know, question myself a bit as well, which is always good. So I, uh, just one simple phrase asked so many questions. Yeah, And wonderful. I find that very inspiring. Well, you've made a beautiful book out of it. Cecilia, I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been lovely chatting. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of ebooks and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.